Well, we're on a series, as you well know, called Going Big. If you're just joining us, we have been, um, we've been learning how to pray with a different perspective, with a, with a broader perspective and a greater expectancy. We called it learning how to pray with an attitude, that God really wants to do something for us beyond what we could ask or think. And there are things that we can claim, we can contend for, we can believe for. Yes, in accordance with his will, but nevertheless, in his will, he said in Jeremiah 33, verse 3, call to me and I will show you things that you do not know. That means there's things that he still has for me, things he still has for you. And Joshua 13, God said to Joshua, there yet remains more land. They had conquered the whole southern territory. And he says, there yet remains more I want to give you. God wants to give you more. He wants to broaden us. He wants to stretch us. He wants to do great things through us. So that's what this has been about. It's about praying with them, some attitude. Deborah Miller, where are you, Deborah? You, were, you so graciously said you would stay the second service to share this testimony. She has a testimony about circle praying that prayed with this kind of an attitude. So hear this story. But it really is about um, the incredible love that God has for us, and it was manifest for me in healing. So over Christmas break... Um, I started to get a, a toothache um, in one of my teeth that has a filling, and it, it was bothering me. It was sensitive, just sensitive to heat, sensitive to cold. Not like overwhelmingly painful, but I could just really feel it. It was kind of bugging me. You ever had a toothache like that? It just bugs you. You, like, you just kind of work it and work it. And Christmas break kind of went on. I'm like, this isn't getting any better. So I made uh, an appointment with the dentist on January 4th, so on a Wednesday. And I went in to see the dentist, and no kidding, from the time I was put into the room to the time I walked out to my car, I was in there exactly 10 minutes for the small bill of $130. And, uh, and the dentist said, he looked at my tooth, he said, you know, here's the problem is, this is an old filling, probably, he asked me how long it's been in there, but 40 years old, and you've got all these microfissures around it. So you've got all these cracks in your tooth and there's not really anything we can do about it. You don't really want to put a crown on it because it just grinds down all the good tooth you have left. So the answer really is to just endure the pain um, until you can't endure it anymore. And so that great piece of advice cost me $130. So out to my car I went. And uh, so I have a really high pain threshold. So I thought, you know what, I'll just, I can do this. I, it, you know, if I could give birth to two babies without any aspirin, I can do this, okay? So I can endure a tooth. Um, so I have a pretty high pain threshold. But it got worse and it got worse. And Finally, we, um, January 18th was a Wednesday. We had a day of fasting, and then we had prayer that night. So I came to that prayer time, and at the very end of it, um, Pastor Bob asked if anybody wanted prayer for healing. And so I raised my hand, and someone wonderful came over and prayed for me. I said, I've got this tooth, and she prayed for healing. And I felt kind of a tingling in it. I thought, oh, that's it. Maybe I've got it. Maybe I've got that healing. This is awesome. And then I went home and got up the next morning, and it was worse. Um, and that's why we pray. Right, <laughs> right. But I think it's important to be honest, right? We just, rather than, you know, pretend something is, how about we just be honest, right? So I thought, wow, that, that's a bummer. So it got worse, and I got worse, and it got to where um, by that Saturday, I couldn't touch it without pain. The entire root was probably infected. The whole top of my mouth hurt. It was all swollen. My lymph nodes were swollen. I'm sure I had some kind of an infection. And that Saturday after that night, um, I basically just, I got up and took 
Advil to kill the pain and slept until it wore off and then the pain woke me up. One of those throbbing kind of things, you know, where your heart just dung, dung, dung. Um, and came to church that Sunday. I'm like, oh, this is bad. My tooth is killing me. And that was the Sunday that Pastor Bob preached on contending prayer. He had the door up there. And he said, you have to contend. And so I, I sat in church and I just began to get so convicted that my prayers had be, been so kind of puny. Like, God, could you please heal my mouth? And like, we prayed and you didn't really do it. So I'm not really sure. And I was just really convicted. Contend. Contend like you have a God who's listening. So I started doing that. Okay, Lord, I'm contending. Now, one part of the story is that I had some fear because in one week I was going to fly to Florida to attend a conference that um, was significant. I had to be on my A game for it. And I'm thinking, man, I don't want to be at this conference and have my tooth like fall out of my head, right? This would be really bad. That's not A game type stuff. So, but I, I still, I felt the Lord say contend. So I just began to contend. And I would say two days later, I woke up, it was Tuesday. You kind of feel it, right? The first thing you do when you wake up is you kind of push on it to see if it hurts. Nothing. Nothing. So I thought, okay, wow, that's, that's, that's different. So then I went out to get some coffee. Drank the coffee. Nothing. No sensitivity, no hot and cold pressure. I can chew on it. I couldn't even just, so completely healed. So as I was just, yeah, thank you, Lord. So as I was just praising God, just sitting with my Bible and just saying, Lord, thank you so much for doing that healing. Why did you do that for me? And I just really felt God say one thing. It's not about the healing, about as much as my wanting to show you how much I love you. It's just love manifest. And two, he said, it's for my glory. So give me glory. Every time you think about that tooth, you give me glory. And the third thing was, I want to teach you how to contend. If you can contend for your tooth, how about for your neighbor? How about you contend for people who don't know me? And I, th that was a challenge. So I guess I'll close with this. Those are the lessons I learned, but I would just say, do those contending prayers because God's a big God. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Come on, church. We want to knock until what? Our knuckles are raw. And uh, that's what it's about. You pray with attitude. Pray with attitude, and there's breakthrough. And uh, first service, Constant and Erlen Lou were here, and they got a little bit insecure that someone may connect that dentist with them. And they were not. They were not Deborah's dentist. And so... I want to clear their name in case anybody got some demonic insinuation that uh, it was our good and beloved Constant Lou that uh, told her to go live with it. But uh, Constant would never do that. He'd take out a hammer and a chisel, do something like that, but he wouldn't do that. No, it's a great dentist. So <laughs> I talked to her Lynn afterwards. So anyway, I want to clear their name. The other thing I just want to say before we get into the word today is that Wednesday is Pursue God Wednesday. That means together as a church, we, we fast from sunup to sundown, and uh, just we call upon God to has, have his way in the church, and what, what Jonathan Edwards, the great revivalist, called a concert of prayer, where we're agreeing for God to do something. You know, when the church agrees with heaven, God's able to move. He wants his body lined up with his head, and that's what this is all about. It's why it just pushes mountains that maybe by myself I cannot push. And we come together at 5.30 for an hour prayer meeting to end that. And then we break fast and uh, we, we go out to eat with people. And people have people over their houses. And, of course, you staff eat some pizza in the room next to us because they have youth group that night. But it's, it's for us to dig in 
and, and call upon the Lord together. If you've never fasted before, uh, you may want to start off with just some juice. You got to kind of get, you don't have to get physically ready for it. You got to get mentally ready for it. You got to kind of have to mentally kind of work your way through that. But just join us. Try to go out with, without something. If you can't get to the prayer meeting, you might be stuck on I 5 or something coming home. Agree with us in prayer. That still counts. You're, you're, you're praying with us. And let's move some mountains. Can I hear an amen? Amen. amen. So we fast every month this way. And, uh, you know, we're not trying to break world records around here. We're just trying to be praying all the time and pushing mountains to see what God will do on our behalf. All right, we're on Go Big. And the title of my sermon today and actually closing today this particular series is Making Prayer a Dialogue, Not a, a Monologue. And my text is 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, and it says this, And this is the confidence... In other words, if this is the confidence, and we're talking about prayer, we should be praying with some boldness, praying with some confidence, not with doubt. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that's why we have the confidence we're in his will, he hears us. And if we know, not if we guess or doubt or speculate or assume, we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. And so in this closing sermon on a great series called Go Big, and I, I, I've just been so encouraged by the impact on the church, the attitude of the church, the response of the church, and I want to thank you for your response. I want to address two thoughts about prayer. And one is this, is that prayer is, is about getting answers to prayer. In Psalm 99, verse 6, it, uh, it says this. This is one of my favorite scriptures. You got your smartphone, you got your Bibles, pop this out. It says, Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. Now, I was a young man when I read this. I said, I want to be a part of those who call upon the name of the Lord, but not just call upon the name of the Lord, but call upon the name of the Lord and he answers us. What separates prayer from any other type of religious activity when any other type of world religion or, or sect or whatever, if all we do is pray and nothing happens? Why are we any different than somebody that might be chanting something? Why are we any different than what I saw in, 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 in Angkor Wat in Samrip, Cambodia this last uh, September? where the, you know, people were giving the Buddhist priest money and they'd sat him down, they'd raise some, burn some incense and blow on it and do some incanta incant incantations over it and, and nothing happens. It's just a bunch of fear. And, you know, what makes us different than them if all we're doing is praying and we're not getting answers to prayer? Getting answers to prayer means we have a real relationship with God. Having answers to prayer means that God's alive in our life. Having answers to prayer means that when we're in a prayer closet talking to God, he's one listening and responding to us. It's a whole different aspect of a relationship with God. You know, I don't want to just pick on the Buddhists. I can pick on Pentecostals. They think they're going to be heard by how weird they are sometimes. You know, I remember praying with one guy all the time, and he'd pray like this. Jesus. Jesus. Now, of course, he's calling out to the Lord, and you're talking about the most intelligent being in the universe. And what, what, 
what would I do if you came up to me and you want to talk to me? Bah. <laughs> bah. Or we think we're heard because of, you know, how articulate and fancy and theological deep our, our sermon is, something like this. You, you got to have it kind of in a Shakespearean acting with proper diction. You who dwell in the unsearchable light, the one who is from the beginning, who has no beginning and no end, the one who rides upon the clouds and is guarded by the great cherubim, whose counsel shall stand forever, we call on thee. Oh, that guy, that guy's really going to move the hand of God. I mean, God's looking down and said, did you hear what he said about me? <laughs> Take all that versus what Jesus said about prayer. And he said, when you, when you come to God, you say, Father. Now, to us, we're so used to the Lord's prayer. Our Father, we're in heaven. We get, we get so used to certain things and we don't see them in the same context they did 2,000 years ago, it loses its oomph sometimes. Prior to Jesus' teaching on that, God was Yah, Yahweh. He couldn't even pronounce the name of Yahweh. It was sac sacrilegious. The, the, the Thomists who translated scripture, if they were going to write the name of God that day, I mean, it took them all day just to write Yahweh. The king walked into the room. They had laws. They weren't even supposed to honor the presence of a king. They were writing the name Yahweh. He was the ancient of days. He was the one who dwelt in unsearchable light. And Jesus said, when you talk to that one now, I, just, I want you to call him Papa. Because that's what Father means. You break it down in the Hebrew, and, and you go even to Israel today, and a child is... is uh, you know, seeing his parent in a park, he'll cry out, Abba, Abba, they'll run to their, their, their dad. It means daddy. When you come to God in prayer, you say daddy. I used to be really bothered with YWAM missionaries, especially in the front lines. They're, here they are, they're risking their life. I can't be mad at them, but they're, 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 they're talking to God, and they call him dad. Come on, he's got him. Dad, dad, dad. You know, it used to bother me until I actually prayed with couples who are actually risking their life in the most dangerous places around the world, they want to call God Daddy, Daddy God, whatever they want to call God. I mean, they're, they're out there on the front lines with them. But it's because of intimacy. It's because that they are his kids and they're doing his will with him. And so if we're going to have this relationship with God, it's not just calling on the name of God. It's, it's getting answers to prayer. And if you do, it shows that you have a relationship with God, that you're, you're close to God. You know, there's a fallacy of having someone else pray for you because you think that they're anointed or they got a special telephone line to heaven. And you know what? I'm going to get Sandy Minor to pray for me. Because here she was, she's been a leader's wife, she's a leader in her own right, and here she is. And she's, she's got special audience to God, and I'm going to have her pray for me. Well, it's good that we pray for each other. It's not that God doesn't hear my prayers for you and vice versa. But what you're saying is, I can't get an audience with God. I can't get God to hear me. I can't get God to move his hand for me. So maybe Sandy, who's special, can do that for me. If God ain't moving your prayers on your own, 
he ain't going to move your prayers through Sandy. God wants you to enjoy the relationship where you call on him, where you come to Father, where you sit in his presence, where you pour out your heart to him, where you make your requests, and God hears you, and God does miracles for you. And you say, I have a God in heaven who's for me. I have a God who stands with me. I have a God who hears me. I have a God who walks with me. I have a relationship with God. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. The idea that, that you need a mediator is an Old Testament concept. You have a mediator. His name is Jesus. You don't, you don't need Sandy Minor to pray for you because you can't get an audience with God. Now, you can have Andy, Sandy join you in prayer. You can have people join you in prayer. God will hear their prayers, but there's a thing about God wants you to call on him. God wants you to get an answer to prayer. God wants you to see that, you know what, I called upon the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me out of all my fears, just like the psalmist said. Now, there are requirements. See, God deals with us in this area. There are requirements to answer prayers. So the reason why God wants you to get your own answer to prayer is so he can deal with your heart. And sometimes some of those, those requirements are a little bit out of alignment, and he deals with your heart on those requirements so you can get the answer to prayer. For instance, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the women as a weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter says there are certain things that got to be in place in my relationship with Sue for God to answer my prayers. If I dishonor Sue, disregard Sue, don't include Sue, devalue Sue, don't serve her, and I, and I start calling out to God, you got to answer this prayer, Lord. The Lord's going to say to me, Bob, it doesn't work like this. Go back to your wife, work together, and I'll start answering some prayers. Husbands and wives, there's a, there's a power in the two of you agreeing. There's a power in you two coming together on something, the will of God to move some mountains. The second thing we want to address in this short sermon today and ending this, we want to address that prayer is a dialogue, as our title of our sermon is. It's not just a, a, a monologue. It's a dialogue between people. We don't pray just to get something out of God. We're not users of God. It's not like God is, you know, some computer system that I just kind of check into and how I operate and I kind of get information in and I, I get his hand out. It's not just that my, I relate to him only to get. I, I relate to him to know him. I relate to him to love him. And I relate to him so that I might hear him. And so prayer is about, yes, getting our appeals heard, our requests heard, because we need God to help us, but it's also about us hearing him, and it's about developing a relationship with him in this thing called prayer closet. A.A. Allen, who was one of the great instruments of God in the early 1950s, in the mid-50s, in a, in a great revival that hit the United States in the area of healing, he had some of the greatest miracles ever seen in modern times. You're talking people who are quadriplegics from the neck down, laying on gurneys, jitting right up. He had an authority in the spirit. As God was dealing with him about entering into this ministry, he told his wife, I got to seek God. 
and I want you to lock me into that room. I don't know what it was, a bathroom, a closet, or a bedroom, I don't know what it was. You lock me in from the outside in. Don't let me out until God has spoken to me. So he goes in that bedroom, and I don't know how long he had stayed in there. But it was quite a season. And then he told his wife, you can open the door and let me out. God talked to him, talked to him about 30 different things that he wanted him to be obedient to. And out of that context, without that voice, when he heard God speak to him, he came out and he had one of the greatest healing ministries of any individual in modern church history. But it started in a prayer closet, hearing the voice of God. So let's start on this second point today. What is the difference between a, a monologue and a dialogue? Well, here's the difference. A monologue is this. It's it's dominating a conversation. So when one person is dominating a conversation, where a dialogue is the exchange of thoughts between two persons. So that's what prayer is supposed to be. It's a place where I meet with a person so that I might dialogue with them, not monologue. You know, the foundation of your Christian walk is that God really does want to speak to you. And I know that's for some people, it's kind of almost like, I'm going to take that person over you know, to a happy, hollow rest home. They're, they're saying God speaks to you. But the issue is God wants to speak to you. It's his absolute desire to speak to you. Jesus said this. He says, I have many things to tell you, but you can't handle them right now. This is in John 14. Well, what's the context of John 14? He's either talking to them in the upper room or at the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane or on his way where he's getting ready to go to the cross. There's no more teaching. He has many things to tell you right now, but you can't handle them now. However, when the spirit of truth comes, he's going to guide you into all truth. When the spirit comes, he's going to bring to remembrance things that, that you don't know right now. He's going to bring them up again. He's going to talk to you. In other words, Jesus, I'm going to go away, and the spirit's going to come. He's going to talk to you. This is Christianity 101. You don't believe God speaks to a born-again Christian you don't understand Christianity. You can't even get saved unless you hear the voice of God. Jesus said no one comes to the Father unless he's, he's drawn. Or whoever, whoever my Father wills to reveal him. And so God has to open your eyes. He has to open my eyes to see Jesus. You're hearing the voice of God. So God wants to speak to us. He wants to talk to us. Leading in a place of intimacy where we're, we're hearing his voice and responding. Now, so prayer is as much about hearing as it is about asking. I have three parts of scripture I just want to point you to. I know you got your smartphones, you got your Bibles here. I'm going to make you be a little disciplined. One is Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 4 is talking about the Messiah. And it says these words in Isaiah 50, verse 4. The Lord God has given me the, the tongue of those who are taught. Jesus is talking about Jesus. Jesus is saying, the Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught. When did he get taught? And, and, and where did he get taught? I want to bring your attention to that. That I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Isn't it interesting? Jesus with a word. With a word, heal people. With a word, he gave counsel. With a word, he put his enemies to flight. With a word, 
With a word, he drew thousands. Morning by morning. Oh, that's where and when he got his tongue educated. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. God has a place for you and for me where he wants to dig out our ears and wake them up so that we can hear. We're so busy right now. I mean, so many texts, you know, appreciate that we have increased communication like no one's business. I, I, I'm trying to actually imagine life, and it wasn't too long ago where you didn't have a mobile phone. Maybe a car would have it in the car on the console. I'm talking about the mid-90s, maybe. Or you actually had to go use a landline. There was no guarantee the person was at home. And you made a phone call during the day knowing that I will probably hear within the next four to eight hours a response to my phone call. And that's my expectation. That was only 20 years ago. But now, you didn't answer your, you didn't get my call? Yeah, I did, I just chose not to answer. I chose not to be interrupted. I chose to call you when I could actually serve you better. Did you get my text? Yeah, I got your text. I just didn't feel like, you know, the law is whatever I'm doing doesn't matter. I just have to answer that text right now. Or emails or this or that. Now they call the regular mail snail mail. You take all that, masses of information, masses of policies, masses of this and masses of that, and we're just overstressed, overcharged people. Just, I just challenge anybody to go on like a two or three day backpacking trip where you can't use your cell phone and you're cut off. I'm telling you, the first hour, you're not tired from carrying a 60-pound pack. You're going through technological withdrawals. <laughs> you're cut off. But it's a beautiful place where God can separate you from activity that he can talk to you. Jesus said this, that the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. If that's true for Jesus, what about us? We can only do what the Father shows us. For the Father to show us, we have to have a place of prayer for him to show us. Now Mark chapter 1, verse 35, 39. I'm going to connect these stories. Connect these verses. And rising very early in the morning, now I'm going to give you the context Night before, he had a great revival at Peter's house. Everybody came to Peter's house. First, Peter's mother-in-law was healed of a fever. She was down. It took a lot of faith for Peter to ask Jesus to heal his mother-in-law. That's a joke. <laughs> there was a healing. Everyone else came to the door. The Bible says everybody was healed. Next day, early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, it gets light about 6 a.m., so this is about 4 a.m.-ish. 4 a.m.-ish. Jesus gets up. It's time to get my ear dug out. It's time to wake up my ear, to hear the voice of the Father that I might have a tongue to teach and a tongue to sustain those who are weary. And there he prayed. 
And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. It's interesting when you're having a great revival personally with God in a relationship, whether your prayer closet's your car, the bathroom, your closet, your backyard, the attic, I don't care where it is, a walk along the river, Starbucks with a headset on with your hoodie over your head, that somebody's going to come and find you. Because the enemy does not want you to connect with the Father. Expect, I'm getting excited about what Bob said. I'm, I'm going to get my secret place. and I'm gonna, I guarantee you, you're going to find the weirdest ways people are going to find you. Good people, God-fearing people. But it just happens. I one time hid behind the church building in my car early in the morning. I'm in my car. I'm thinking, no one's going to find me. And I just want 20 minutes with Jesus. That's all I want. I don't, I, don't, I don't need hours. I just need to get myself realigned. I need some prayer time. I mean, I'm in it for about 10 minutes. My eyes are closed. I'm over my steering wheel. I'm praying like this. And all of a sudden, pounded on my window. It was Pastor Phil Harris. <laughs> Roll my window down. Phil, he goes, I've been looking all over for you. What are you doing here? I'm trying to pray. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. Oh, we need you. <laughs> Simon comes, and those are with searched for him, and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. Why was everyone looking for him? Because they had an agenda. It was a great agenda. It was a good agenda. The agenda was, let's have more revival this morning. Everybody got healed last night. I mean, this is a great place. Sir Simon was always trying to camp Jesus, like Mount Transfiguration. I'll build a booth for you, a booth for me, a booth for John, a booth for James, a booth for Moses, a booth for Elijah. We'll just camp out in this glory, man. You just kind of turned into a, like a, a Vegas show here. I mean, this is great. Let's just have our little camp meeting here. No, no, we got to go down to the valley. We can't stay in the mountain. Man has his agendas, but you don't know God's agenda unless you go to the prayer closet and hear his voice. And Jesus said, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Father's reminding me, I'm going to take my conjecture here. The Father was reminding Jesus of his agenda, his mission. What do I do now? Your mission is village to village. That is your mission. Man had a great agenda. There was nothing wrong with that agenda, except Jesus had to choose the will of God over that which was good. How did he do it? Morning by morning, he wakes up my ear. Four in the morning, he got up. You know, I taught this lesson in Mexico. My father in the faith, Dick Iverson, was there. and He went to bed in the hotel that night. And he goes, Lord, it's a true story. He goes, Lord, if you really want me to get up at four in the morning, he said, Lord, you have to wake me up. So he goes to bed, 4 a.m. the next morning. The desk at the hotel calls his room and wakes them up. They had a question for him. Don't ever say, God, if you want me to get up, you're going to have to get me up. John 7, 46, the officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Why? Because he had his ear dug out. God woke up his ear. Prayer wasn't just a, a conversation I mean, where Jesus just called on the Father all he needed to do for him that day. It was a prayer time of communion where Jesus was getting instruction and hearing the voice of the Father. 
So how do we learn to hear God's voice in our prayer time? We need to link our prayer, excuse me, we need to link our prayer life to our daily Bible reading. We We tend to separate these two. I want to encourage you to join these two. One, when we pray the Bible back to God, we're actually praying in alignment to his word. That is, we are praying in the will of God. We read in our text today, and this is the confidence we have toward, toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he, he hears us. Notice, notice, it says, this is the confidence. We want to pray on solid ground. We don't want to pray on thin ice. Am I praying in the will of God? And if I'm praying in the will of God, I'm praying on solid ground. I'm not praying on thin ice. I can be confident that God's hearing me and God's going to answer that prayer. If God promises it in the Bible, it is the will of God. Now, there are conservative estimates that there are some 3,000 promises in the Bible. That's a conservative estimate, 3,000. Now, I know that promises have to be interpreted correctly. It might be something that God just said to Israel. It's what he said to Israel, and I understand that. It may be something God said to an individual that you can't say that's mine. He said it to an individual. What do you learn from it? There could be a principle I could claim. But most of the promises of the Bible are yours by virtue of what Jesus did for you on the cross. When Jesus died on the cross for you, your sins just weren't forgiven. But all the promises of the scripture now become yours. Paul, describing you and I before we came to Jesus, He he described this in Ephesians 2, that we were strangers of the promises. There was promises that God gave to his people we were strangers of. But now that we've been drawn near to God because of what Jesus did on the cross, Aaron talked about that at communion today, it's not just my sins are forgiven, but all the promises of God become mine. Those promises have your name on it. This promise of healing, Skyler, has got his name on it. Promise of this has Simon's name on it. Has his name on it. Has Orion's name on it. Leslie, Aaron's name on it. Has his name on it. That, that has my name on it. That has my name on it. By virtue of what Jesus did on the cross, that has my name. And we can go after it. Now, how many of you have a car manual in your glove compartment of your car? How many of you read it? I, uh, I have two manuals on my, my Ridgeline, and I want you to know I, I hate reading car manuals. I do not enjoy reading. I, I'm kinesthetic. I, I, don't like, I don't like reading instructions, like I get a gift for the kids or grandkids and I have to put it together. I don't look at the instructions. I figure it out. And it's always kind of a miracle. I say, hey, they gave me some extra bolts. <laughs> always, always a miracle. They always give me extra bolts kind of figure it out kinesthetically as I just kind of go through that. Now, my wife, she loves manuals, and she loves that car manual and the glove compartment. Now, here, here's where my wife is right, and I'm wrong. Because I don't like reading it, I don't know all that my car can do. I don't know some of the neat little gingerbread features it has to bless me and enrich my driving experience and, you know, just to serve me in bad weather or whatever. Sue does, because she reads through that baby. So if I want to get something fixed on the car and figure it out, I said, honey, read the manual. Tell me what I need to do. 
And so in her experience, she, she has a fuller experience of what the car offers where I cut myself short because I don't, know, I don't like reading manuals and I don't know what's in the manual, therefore I don't know what's mine. Have you tried? What's that But I don't know. I've never used it. My car gets me from here to here. Glory to God. <laughs> but how many, how many followers of Jesus don't know the manual and you don't know what promises are yours by virtue of what Jesus did on the cross and you never experience where others kind of dig in there and they discover it and go after it and they experience those promises. Kevin Connor, Bible teacher Kevin Connor says the church is only as powerful as the truth it possesses. Wow. So if I don't possess that truth, I'm never going to experience that truth. Tomas Martinez was a 67-year-old homeless man living in Santa Cruz de la Sierra, Bolivia. His ex-wife died leaving her $6 million estate to him, apparently forgiving him for leaving her years before. When the police approached him on the streets to tell him of his inheritance, he thought they were after him, so he fled. They still haven't found him. And so Tomas is homeless, living somewhere in you know, Santa Cruz de la Sierra in Bolivia, not knowing that he's a millionaire. How many believers just avoid or run away from the promises of God, and God has this great inheritance for them, and they live like paupers, they don't live like kings. They live like paupers, they don't live like queens, because they haven't dug in, haven't discovered that promise, and they don't know what they have because they're living in fear or a small mindset, but they're just like Tomas Martinez. There are times when God will quicken or make alive a scripture to you. You're reading, and all of a sudden that scripture will come alive, and this is your scripture. God gave me one for City Harvest Church here not too long ago. I had been pondering a question in my heart. The question in my heart was, you know what? I, I talked to my friends, you know, we just, you know, we had 25 people give their life in one service and kind of everyone filled the altars and hallelujah, praise the Lord. You know, and it seemed like here at St. Harvest Church, we pull them out one at a time here and one here and one half here. And I know it's the lower half or the upper half, you know. Down at community group on Thursday night, you know, and this person brought some in the office and they get saved. But never like the crowd. And I never like talked to the Lord like, you know, is there something wrong with us? But it was a question in my heart. And I was reading my own devotions and God brought my attention to Acts 2.47. And it was the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. And the Lord spoke to me about the nature of our church. He says, this is the nature of how it's going to be done at City Harvest Church. Now, I'm not putting God in a box. He wants to bring the, the, the hordes in, and I, I will not argue with him. But the issue, it brought great comfort how we get people saved here. Whatever grace we have and the way we're built and the way we connect and who you are, who I am, and, and it just gave me great peace. Let God speak to you. Let the promises come to you. Let God quicken a scripture to you. 
Something right in this season you need to hear. So for prayer to be effective, we need to know the difference between relationship and formula, between faith and presumption. We said we don't want to make God this this computer system where we just kind of follow some formula where if you say it like this and you do it like this and follow that formula, we plug it into the computer, out pops an answer to prayer. We're into a relationship. We're just not into doing robotic mechanics. Even Jesus in the Lord's Prayer, what he was given us is the ingredients of the recipe called prayer. But don't make your prayer life boring. Don't make your prayer life the same old thing that just kind of goes on and on and on. God's a God of variety. There are principles in the Lord's Prayer he wants you to honor. But man, just allow yourself to relate to him in a relationship. Make it creative. We want to be effective in prayer, we got to pray in the will of God. To do that, we got to pray the Bible back to God. Make the Bible part of your prayer life. We don't want to run away from the promises of God. We want to stand on the promises of God and what they say. You know, some believers, you know, when they're prayed for or, or they're sick, they'll, they'll say something like, by his stripes I'm healed or I'm healed. They're not, they're not saying when they confess like that that I don't feel sick anymore or the tumor's gone. It's, it's there, but it's not there. No, they're saying the tumor's there and they're, they're saying I don't feel really good. What they're saying is that the promise of Scripture is more real than the symptoms that I'm experiencing. When you're in a circumstance that's dark, there are promises of a great future. And the promise is more real than the painful circumstance you're going through. And you got to believe that. And with that attitude, that's how we move mountains. Dallas Willard, philosophy teacher at USC, famous Christian apologist, is now with the Lord. said, in the progress of God's redemptive work, communication advances into communion, communion into union. And when the progression is complete, we can truly say it's no longer I who live, but it is Christ who lives in me. And for me, living is Christ. When my prayer closet becomes a place of dialogue, Jesus begins to live his life through me.